This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Just wanted to take a brief moment to give you guys a little idea how we do it here at Paddle and Fin Podcast. We use the Anchor.fm recording platform. Super easy, distributes our podcast to many, many different platforms. There's creation tools to allow you to record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. Check out anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your jig order. Finn podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Jay. It's Ricketts. Holy crap! I was waiting for it to come back. The three of us. Give me a good intro. Give me a good intro. The three of us sitting down together. Finally. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I have a confession. I I have kayak fished in six weeks. Dude. Oh. What is wrong with you, bro? I have been nonstop, man. Well, I picked you, up. I picked up. Yeah, well, you've been, uh, you rehabbed your garage. You did a bunch of different stuff, yep. man. You've been having some, some life stuff going on, so I understand life that. Life stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
but looking back to getting on the water missed yeah. my boats sold the blue sky i got an offer on it couldn't couldn't pass it up so kicked that one off at uh going to be getting that 2020 model soon so nice nice that that black glitter to match the truck i was gonna oh my god to match the truck jesus gotta match a new ride dude (laughs) like i didn't even think i was gonna oh you're gonna get the black one with the glitter and then he throws in the truck yeah yeah i'm just like dude (laughs) you know (laughs) gotta match the truck bro got a massive truck well 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 welcome back boys i uh i missed you uh it's good to Absolutely. see you both back here but i don't want to cool. what's that i just like watching you you're going like this it's great to see both of you <laughs> <laughs> well i don't want to uh i don't want to ramble on too much uh just the three of us because we have an epic guest tonight you guys this, this is a rare one because of the location this gentleman lives. And he's just a big deal, man. I mean, this dude lives with brown bears as everyday life. He just told us the only way you can get to him is by boat or by plane. This guy caught an 80-pound halibut on the fly. I mean... What else do you need to say about this guy? I mean, and then and then to top it all off, some of the volunteer nonprofit work this guy does is just absolutely insane. And I think Jay said it before we started, like, all right, this guy makes us all look like chumps. So without further ado, Josiah Pleasant, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. So we always start out with uh, how you got into kayak fishing and fishing in general. So why don't we start there, and then we'll we'll kind of unravel this whole story, man. Yeah, fishing in general started at birth. So um, I'm from the San Luis Valley in southern Colorado. So in between elk hunting, my dad always loved to go fly fishing, and um, I, I spent a lot of time picking up fly fishing as a young man and um, chasing trout. Um, but when I was real young, my parents moved to north of Seattle, Washington, so just outside of Everett, Washington. Um, so in the in the early 90s, salmon fishing was still really decent um, in Washington, so cut my teeth on fishing for salmon. My dad was sometimes a little bit intense uh, on chasing salmon. I don't know if you've ever been around an intense fisherman that sometimes could squeeze some of the... Uh, the laid back relaxation and joy out of things. So I, I took to kayak fishing as, as a response to the, I would say, uh, meat focused fishing with my dad. I mean, filling the cooler was the deal. Sure. Um, and getting out with a fly rod and getting out in a kayak was just, it brought peace and calm to my life. And, um, later on as I was an athlete, um, you know, it's good cross training, right? It's good for your core. Um, but I, kind of picked up pretty quick that I got into fishy opportunities that you don't get into either from a boat with a motor that's running and making noise or from shore, obviously getting out further. And so that, uh, component of access, um, peace and calm, but I still got my dad in me. I like to fill the freezer. Um, yeah. you know, that, that kind of led me to going further and deeper into kayak fishing. Um, especially in college, spent a lot of time in a kayak and then um, I had the opportunity to help start a, univers- a university program 
focused on utilizing outdoor adventure as a skill set, not just for a healthy lifestyle, but for some folks for employment. And so helped start a, a minor, an outdoor adventure leadership minor at a uh, university. And so got to teach kayaking as a class, got to teach fly fishing as a class and get other people into it in a formal way. So I guess at that point, there was a transition from just something I enjoyed uh, doing to there was some formality to that. Um, I did start a, a paddling business called Cove Paddle Fitness. Um, and so my business partner and I um, brought um, paddling to folks is, is really a healthy avenue to get out on the water. Um, we also um, got to work with a TV show um, doing that. Uh, and that was a blast. Um, got to take care of the paddling adventures for TV show. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, again, just kind of taking something that I love and enjoy and um, finding a way to make it work from a, a vocational standpoint. So um, all those experiences kind of shaped uh, my uh, focus uh, when I get the chance to get out and recreate that if I have the opportunity, I like to do so in, in a kayak uh, with a paddle in hand or on a paddleboard with a paddle in hand. So, yeah. Bro, I think you could just mic drop it right there. No I mean, doubt. Everything you just did. Uh, how old are you by chance? I mean, I, I didn't ask you that, and I I failed on my research on that end. No worries. I'm 34. Holy. <clears throat> Still kind of young. Kind of. <laughs> I mean, what else? What else do you got to accomplish in life? I mean, dude, like he's been on TV. Yeah, talked about that. He's got a killer beard, though. Yeah, got I mean, shout out of my beard, my beard brother there. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a necessity up here. Yeah, no doubt. I yeah, that imagine. probably keeps you warm in the winters. That's for sure. <laughs> so, tell us about this TV show, bro. What was, uh, how'd that whole thing? Actually, the, the TV show that I worked with was The Biggest Loser. Um, and so I no um, got to work wow. with the resort. And, you know, so a lot of the concept is uh, bringing fitness to folks, but in a way that sticks, right? And so uh, a lot of what I did is bring paddling um, to the forefront as a way to get out and, and burn mm -hmm. calories and get fit, but to not feel like it's a drudgery and, and a drag. And so got people out on the water. Um, I did that in Southern California. And so the focus of what I was doing, um, really bringing people into uh, close proximity to nature. Um, at the same time, you know, they kept metrics and the folks that spent time with me out on the water tend to get a, a better calorie burn than folks in a gym. Um, all of us that kayak fish or kayak in general, we know that to be true if you're getting out and, and getting some distance in. Um, and then a lot of it is just relationship building for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, maybe us guys are guilty of it. It's a little bit easier to let your barriers down, let your guard down and connect with folks when you're in a, a relaxed atmosphere. And so I, I think we tend to, it's possible that we can become the best versions of ourselves getting out and, and doing things when, when we relax. And so, um, yeah, that's, that was the basis of the TV show relationship with, with paddling for me. Um, I got to work with some some guys um, to put together a film for a paddling festival and, and fundraising for the nonprofit stuff we do. And uh, uh, one of the gentlemen who spent a lot of time with us, um, he's he's uh, got his own Animal Planet TV show um, uh, called Fish or Die. 
And, uh, and then we had a, a really, really talented videographer who's worked with him a lot um, come out and, and they helped put a, a video together. And so that should be going live, um, hopefully here in six weeks to two months or so. The editing process does take a little while, but yeah, that's where that uh, shout out came from, uh, from Aaron. Um, okay. Just knowing that I, I was a part of that video and putting that together. That's crazy. Very dude. cool, man. Man. Dude, I love Animal Planet. I'm realizing I've done nothing. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. Nothing. Like, like, I got a new hero, bro. Like, seriously. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know. Like, should I even be on here? I mean. <laughs> That's crazy, man. So, I mean, with all this being said, you know, you did the 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 stuff in california you were in seattle i mean i know when i looked at your facebook profile there was like 10 different cities listed where you have lived uh, i think one of them was like arkansas right mm-hmm. um you were doing some fly fishing out there i mean what landed you in alaska yeah so um well really specifically growing up the the best experiences and best times i had with my dad were hunting or fishing um, bar none. And so there's always been a special place in my heart for experiences that we had. And, you know, if you're, if you fish or hunt for, for a little while, no matter where you are in North America, you're going to hear about Alaska. Oh yeah. uh, So I, I got to go up with my dad, um, when I was 13 and I caught a a 72 pound King salmon on the Kenai. Um, you know, it's really sad that the King salmon, population is they've consistently gotten smaller and they've gotten more and more sparse um it's really challenging for people to find a 72 pound king anymore but anyhow got to go up and spend that time and um uh, with him and just loved it absolutely loved it um you know i i I speak spanish i speak another language and i was listening to some music on my headphones and i was fishing on the kenai river i was 13 and it was 1 a.m but it was light outside and there had been guys fishing next to me, but I was focused on fish, and I was filling the freezer with sockeye salmon. And I look over, and about 20 yards down, this brown bear is fishing with me, and he's just digging in and grabbing fish. You know, he's pretty good at what he does, and there's nobody else around. I'm like, man, this place is awesome. You know, fishermen <laughs> kind of disappeared. I, I, they probably were t- paying attention to the bear, so they moved out of the way. I wasn't paying attention. I was focused on the fish. But good thing is, when there's lots of food, they... They tend not to bother people as long as you don't get in between them and the food. So, you know, from a pretty young age thinking, wow, that's a really neat place. Um, My wife and I sat down, that's about four years ago, and just talked about, you know, hopes and dreams. If if we could, um, you know, do anything, you know, what would be the best use of our time and ability and what, what things and what places are a good fit for us? And so uh, we got on a plane and, and came up uh, to southeast Alaska. She said she did not want to deal with crazy cold. Um, southeast Alaska is actually pretty mild. Um, uh, you know, we were right on the ocean. I'm showing, showing you guys earlier. I mean, it's throw a ball into the ocean from here. And so it keeps the temperature pretty mild, but it does rain a lot. We are in a, a temperate rainforest. Um, but Juno's got a, a real good airport. Alaska Airlines, Delta fly through here. So um, you can get flights, um, and there's several islands that you can access by boat. And so came up and, um, you know, uh, had some friends up here already. Um, and so just really started intentionally talking about the idea. Um, uh, so 
we we kind of talked about that my wife and I that hey that'd be a really neat place to end up you know let's see how things shake out I um, started working with this nonprofit uh, Agathos International last year and right out of the gate I was invited to come speak at a conference up here in Juneau and kind of share what I was working on from a nonprofit standpoint really specifically that's my that's my lab she's saying hey um, <laughs> she's really like playing an instrument exactly i know she's making noise she's heard um what what i was doing uh out of the gate from a nonprofit uh perspective was sharing that the solution to the primary issues that people face and all of us face this um is a profound catastrophic loss of family um and so for any of us any any deep issue that we're facing um, when we're totally caught in a rut, when we're really struggling with something, um, whether it be addiction, um, you know, relationship problems, you name it, the, the core issue is a loss of community, a loss of family. And so um, there's a couple different organizations that have done a really good job of showcasing this. But if you can create human connection, right, community, family, you can solve, you name it, the major issue that you're trying to work with. And so um, addressing homelessness, addressing the um, uh, sense of loss that aged out of foster care youth feel when they're no longer a part of either an organization or, or in that system trying to get on their feet. Uh, really, the, the core issue isn't addiction. It isn't um, delinquency. It isn't, uh, you know, any number of things. It's we need relationship. We need family. We need community. And so this group up here in Juneau invited me to come and share about what I was doing um, with this nonprofit to create community intentionally. So that is creating affordable housing, um, that is uh, creating dignified income on site and dignified income that lends itself to a healing recovery relationship building process. Um, and that is also um, being able to provide on-site programs and services in a way that feels like family, not like a doctor's office. Um, none of us like to be kind of picked apart or pointed at, um, but all of us want to have brothers and sisters and family, right? And so got to come up and, and share about that, and folks really like the idea. Uh, obviously, the rationale for me being uh, here talking with you guys, my background in fishing and, and paddling, um, uh, Southeast Alaska is a, a pretty perfect place to be. Um, and so the idea of bringing this model of community, but even more specifically, having opportunities to build relationship through things like kayak fishing, getting out and fly fishing, getting out in the outdoors and using adventure therapy as a means to help people grow and, and overcome challenges that they faced. Um, I've done exactly that in my life. So honestly, um, what I'm doing, guys, from a nonprofit standpoint is sharing what's helped me. Um, you know, I've I've dealt with difficulty and had to overcome things. And um, there's I've found a lot of healing um, getting out in nature and, and getting to a quiet and still place and trying to effectively process what's going on and, and learning to calmly approach the things that I can handle and and not worry about the things that I can't. So. That's uh, that invitation brought me up, um, and so from a nonprofit standpoint, had had an invite to serve and help up here, um, and then the state of Alaska hired me as a natural resource specialist, and so being hired as a natural resource specialist helped uh, the the I would say the bills component of the whole nonprofit thing work a little bit because then I could pay bills, um, but also do the stuff that I really care about, 
And so my my life is kind of a blend of a of a day job that I do care about. Um, you know, if uh, you're listening and you've heard of a probably a couple of uh, hot button topics up here in Alaska right now is uh, Pebble Mine yep. and uh, the roadless rule. And so uh, Pebble Mine is is threatening um, uh, what is inarguably the last best salmon fishery on the planet. And the roadless rule is threatening uh, my backyard right here in the Tongass rainforest, threatening to pull out uh, the remaining old growth forest. And the old growth forest is really important because it gives space for all the different, you know, megafauna that everybody loves, um, bears and deer. And um, those trees are there because of a healthy ecosystem that thrives on the way that it's designed. Uh, the roadless rule is basically, uh, it was set to prevent that old growth forest from being taken out, therefore the salmon streams from eroding, therefore us losing our, our salmon fishing. Um, so from a natural resource specialist standpoint, it's different than what I do from a nonprofit, but I do believe it still connects with trying to help people, right? Um, salmon fishing is a way of life up here. If that went away, uh, that's, that's really going to negatively affect a lot of people. And we've already seen some of the negative effects already. So yeah, that's what I do from a, a natural resource standpoint. Um, essentially trying to conserve and protect Alaska's natural resources while also providing for um, sustainable economic development, right? So creating jobs at the same time. So that's a that's a daily balance for me at work. So between that day job and, and nonprofit calling and uh, the mix of it kind of making sense because I like to fish and get in a kayak, uh, that's what I'm doing up here. Dude. Again, I, I'm doing nothing. I feel like my head just exploded, bro. Like, oh man. So, like, what? I mean, I mean, you you briefly described the natural resources specialist. So, what do you do? Do you just like go out and like check numbers on fish? Like, what wildlife's doing? I mean, what what are the specifics of that? That just interesting to me. Yeah, I work in the division of mining land and water, so um, really specifically managing state lands for, uh, I would say, holding the healthy tension of conservation and making sure that Alaska's resources will be available for generations to come and economic development. So making sure people can develop jobs. Okay, so, so, so basically you're making sure that, you know, basically the quote-unquote mines and things like that are following the rules so it doesn't damage the econ or the uh the natural resources around it yeah our our office in general so my area of of speciality is in uh lands and so uh, you know i'm right now um you know just finished up public comment on uh some folks that are going to do some uh recreational uh mining um uh out in a, a saltwater marsh area um out in front of um you know some beach and so those state tidelands, the idea is to make sure that people can do things that are reasonable and that these guys are trying to provide for their families, but also that it doesn't negatively impact fisheries um, awesome. you know, and, and people's use. So, yeah, just a balance there. That's awesome. Wish we had something like that out here. Yeah, right. There's, there's so much commerce and industry. I'm sure so much gets by. Well, right. Know. I mean, the Fox River wouldn't be like brown it wouldn't look like <laughs> toilet water you know if they regulated some of that stuff yeah oh man, man dude that's, I, dang 
I'm, a, I'm at a loss for words <laughs> right now. Like, I don't even know what to say. So, yeah. I, I mean, he, here's the thing. So, you know, you're doing stuff with with some of the, you know, the challenged youth, you know, some of, you, some of your nonprofit stuff. I mean, you know, that alone has got to say something. Um, but, I mean, what, what is that like to take – take a kid that maybe has never really fished kayaked whatever and then take them out and see them grasp onto that and just just the smile on their face i mean what does that do for you you know a lot of the the work that i'm doing is is to create natural or organic opportunities for mentorship and so creating avenues where folks can connect um, you know, and, and, and truly build a relationship. And so, um, to that ends, getting out in kayaking, getting out in fishing is, is a way for people to let their guard down and, and do something enjoyable, you know, up here. And, and I would say in contrast to a lot of places in the lower 48, it's also a way to fill the freezer I mean, yeah. halibut salmon. That's a pretty good yeah. meal. Um, yeah, yeah. and so yeah, there, there is catch and release up here for sure. But at the same time, um, you know, the culture up here is, fishing is grocery store yeah for, right, right. for 48 so yeah well and i mean we we briefly touched on that a little bit so um you know just josiah just got put on the jackson team so congratulations on that thank uh, you i just got put on the jackson team as well so you know we're all jackson guys here um <laughs> but uh you know, we were talking about getting like kayaks shipped up to you, and I think that's one thing you always hear about with Alaska is like <clears throat> food costs and fuel and shipping in general is just through the roof up there because it's it's not like a semi truck can just come down the road and drop off the groceries at the local store, right? Like that stuff's got to get flown in or boated in, uh, from what Josiah was telling us. You know, so, I mean, I can understand why people hunt and fish and want to pack that freezer full, you know, especially to get through the longer winters. Um, so, I mean, you know, you were briefly telling us about the struggle to get some kayaks shipped up there. I mean, you were saying you might have to take a pretty long road trip, right? Uh, that, that'd be a way to get them up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they were to ship them to you, just a ballpark oh. price, what does that cost? I'm curious. I bet you it's like 800 bucks, 900 bucks. Yeah, it could be real pricey. You know, the, the goal would be to try to attach them to some other shipment somehow, right? Find find something mm-hmm. that's already coming up and, and jump on that bandwagon. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll hey. see. Uh, it, and it varies between companies. And, yeah, there's a lot of variables. That's crazy. Yeah, you, if you can find that deal, you can piggyback. And just to give everybody context, we're talking about from Jackson in Sparta, Tennessee, to Alaska, to, to Juneau, Alaska, which is that's got to be like, what three it's about thousand, as far as you four thousand miles. Yeah, yeah well, well, I know in Idaho, it's like four hundred bucks. That's crazy. Dude. So that's why I'm thinking like eight hundred, nine hundred bucks, because that's like halfway, I guess, maybe a little less. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's far. Yeah, yeah, that would be insane. That's almost the cost of a kayak. Yeah, that's, crazy. that's nuts, dude. 
Yeah. So, so do you do? I mean, obviously, you're right off the ocean, so you're doing a lot of um, saltwater fishing. But do you do a lot more, or is equal like freshwater? And I'm, and I guess that would be split between like rivers and creeks versus like lakes. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some lakes. Um, the lakes that have really good fishing tend to have really challenging access. So, perfect for that, kayaking. Yeah, yeah, hard to get. Um, you know, I, I use a, an inflatable kayak, and so if it's not too crazy far, I'll, I'll take an inflatable some places. But oh. yeah, the the lakes are can be challenging. At least the lakes that have decent fishing. A lake that has lots of access tends to not have as mm. great of fishing. Um, so salmon's life cycle. Um, whenever they return to fresh water, their minds are not on eating. Their minds are on reproducing, and they die right after they reproduce. Right. And so you can catch salmon um, as they move into fresh water, but the meat actually starts to deteriorate. A, a yeah. salmon, I mean, it's such a lesson in, in determination and commitment. When when a salmon enters fresh water, it knows it's it's done. Yeah. It's finished. It's dying, um, and it's going to go spawn. And so. Uh, we talk about catching chrome fish. When we say catching chrome fish, we're talking about catching salmon while they still have that ocean life cycle and they've just come into fresh water. So, um, uh, you know, we uh, some friends came up and, and we put this uh, fundraising kind of awareness video of, of what we're doing from a nonprofit standpoint together. And we went and caught a bunch of chrome um, silver salmon, um, coho salmon. And uh, the fish that we were catching were totally, totally bright on the front end of the trip. And even in the course of a two-week trip, by the end of that trip, the fish we were catching were rosy-colored. Yeah. And what that basically means when those salmon start to turn color, their organs literally shrink and then disappear. They, they lose some of their organs. Their scales literally absorb into their body, and they begin deteriorating. So, you know, from a table fare standpoint... You don't really want to catch fish that are deteriorating for your table fare. And from a respect for their life cycle standpoint, once the fish have made it to that, you know, color change, you almost, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, my friends and I up here talk about feeling bad that they've made it that far, you know, let them, let them finish the deal. Um, you know, it's neat to see them for sure. But so is answering your question about fresh water. But we kind of steer away from fresh water other than getting those chrome fish right as they first come in because um, mm -hmm. obviously they're concentrated at different points in time when they first come into the river. So it can be a lot of fun. Um, and it's also fun in that you're going to be brushing up against bears. And if you know bear culture and understand their habits and behavior, um, it can be uh, really additive to the fishing experience. I mean, it's uh, you're you're very alive when you're fishing next to brown bears. So that's uh, a <laughs> yeah. fun uh until <laughs> everybody's alive at one point next one <laughs> hey i'm still here so i know that's yeah. that's nuts so are you hitting a lot of trout too because I, I know in those lakes well i don't know i know some have been stocked maybe not in alaska but just other stuff i've seen like on youtube um you know of course birds and everything but i mean are you hit, getting a lot of trout in those lakes too and I think there's like other salmon that might be in some of those lakes, if I'm not mistaken, like smaller ones. So there's only one species of salmon that naturally resides in lakes, and that's your um, sockeye salmon. So sockeye uh, always spawn in a river system that has a lake. Um, but when they're when they're getting into freshwater, again, they're 
they're at the end of their life cycle. So um, I don't target fish um, in that situation, but sockeye do enter lakes. In terms of uh, the way a trout uh, here in the area, um, there still are um, uh, some steelhead. So steelhead or rainbows that have made the biological decision to enter saltwater to find bigger and better feed. And so they get bigger and better um, than your uh, uh, freshwater locked um, uh, rainbow trout. And so there are rainbows as well. Um, there's char. So we got Dolly Varden char. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So they're really, really colorful fish. Um, that's actually the fish that's running right now. So a buddy of mine is flying from Kathmandu, Nepal next week, and we're going to go chase dollies and uh, try to get some halibut too. So, um, yeah, there's a coastal cutthroat, but they don't get very big. So people tend not to target them too much, but they're pretty fish as well. But yeah, I mean, the, the main deal is salmon um, and your two um, big eating fish that uh, will take a fly and, and really give you a fight. Um, your king salmon and, and your silver salmon. Um, uh, sockeye salmon's really good table fare, but sockeye eat krill and, and eat you know small organisms, so they don't have that same predatory instinct, mm-hmm. especially to take anything top water. But even you know pelagic stuff in, in the water, they're uh, they're a little bit trickier. So a lot of the sockeye fisheries are, are net fisheries where guys use throw nets to to catch the sockeye. Huh. So yeah. That's crazy. So I heard something about the salmon run, like when they start deteriorating. And I think it was on Steve Ranella's podcast, Meat Eater. I'm sure you guys know who yeah. Steve Ranella is. Um, but he said, man, that the bears and wolves love that time of when the, when the salmon are pretty much just deteriorating because they'll find them on the shorelines and it's like salmon pudding for them. And they just lap it up. Like, is that something – have you seen that or is that something that you know of or – yeah, so bear bear behavior, bear culture, they have a hierarchy. You know, we have hierarchies too, right? But um, so the way that a, a bear system will work, and so, you know, I'm looking out here, uh, Admiralty, Fortress of the Bears, there's very visibly how the bears interact. The younger bears that are just starting off in life, you'll tend to find them, and sometimes sows with cubs, at the river mouth, right? So when salmon first enter in, those salmon are, are fresh, they're, they're, you know, at the apex of their life. They're never going to be stronger and fatter and healthier than that point. From that point forward, they start to deteriorate. The further upstream you go, the older and gnarlier and nastier the bears get. Because the bears know that if a salmon is, you know, getting kind of weak, he, he's got easier pickings. And the salmon tend to be concentrated in pools the further up a river system you go. And especially if they get caught in between rainfall, right, river flow, they can get totally stuck in a pool and the bears just, they can totally go at them. So there's that structure. Um, you know, honestly, um, my observing bears, they, they like the same things we like. They know what a big, healthy, fatty fish looks like. And so they get really excited even inter, uh, between different species of salmon. So I watched these brown bears. Um, it's just been oh, four weeks ago. And there was a lot of pink salmon, uh, humpy salmon in the river system. And the silver salmon started moving in. So the silvers are about four times, you know, even five times the size of your pink salmon. And they're, this, they're better meat, right? They, they got higher fat content. They're really good to eat and they're fun to catch. And man, these bears, they started ignoring the pink salmon, totally ignoring them. And they're chasing the coho, the silver salmon. So we had this uh, stretch of river that we fished in and it was awesome fishing, just unbelievable. 
and the next day went back and it wasn't quite as good and we noticed there were a lot more bear tracks around the pool the third day even worse fishing the fish were just skittish they wouldn't take anything fourth day they wouldn't take anything and there's bear tracks everywhere around this stretch of river so what the bears were doing is when we weren't present they were literally just dive bombing it looked like they were doing cannonballs from the riverbank it was crazy but those bears knew those fish are tastier right those fish are bigger we're going to target those fish so you know i also noticed that the bears don't like the the totally dead rotted fish as much if they can get fish that are kind of vibrant and, and alive um and the taste is better right the the meat is better so it was really interesting just watching that you know that could just be um isolated to to this river system and this bear population here but um, the bigger and more lively and tastier the fish, it seemed like the more uh, bears wanted to chase those fish. And definitely the further upriver you go, therefore, the slower the fish, um, the bigger the bears got. I mean, there's some, I, I'm, I wore a 14 and a half boot. My boot fit well inside of the bear tracks the further upriver I went. So, 14 and a half boot? Uh, yeah. Are, are you carrying out there while you're yeah. fishing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's good and and to carry um, from a noise standpoint for me just to scare them off. Um, you know, it's it's part of um, just bear safety to to be able to scare them off. You know, a lot of guys will carry bear spray. Um, I've had two uh, close bear encounters that were, you know, the bear either hunting me or or the bear charging wow. me. And so my my charge was actually on this last trip. It was the very last night of the trip. I was working on my boat um, and uh, finished working on my boat to, to get it in the water, getting ready to head home. And uh, some guy, uh, not not a part of our group, had, had uh, left a, a gut pile from a, a deer not too far from my boat. So he wasn't thinking too well because that's a bear attractant. And I had noticed that. Um, and so was walking back from working on my boat. I had about a mile walk to get back to where I was going to sleep that night. And uh, brown bear charged me in the dark in the woods. And I had a little, you know, just regular uh, headlamp, and I could see about 40 feet. And uh, within seconds, that bear was in my view, and he's standing right there in front of me in my headlamp. And I've got two labs here sitting at my feet, and I'd been telling them the whole trip, stay on my heels, you know, heel, stay with mm -hmm. me. And it was funny, when they got into brown bear woods, they said, you know, we should probably stay on his heels. We should stay with this guy. No wandering off. But you know what? That that bear, when he realized what I was, he backed off and did his thing. Um, when I was a kid, I was I was moose hunting, and uh, was was calling in, uh, making a moose call, and uh, a brown bear had snuck around a ridge, and it was a sow with two cubs. And from a distance, I, all I saw was two silvery figures, and I thought it was wolves. And that bear covered a mile within a few minutes, and she was just right there in front of me. Um, and when she figured out what I was, she backed off into the woods and kind of disappeared. So I say that to say, yeah, I mean, I, I carry, but those are two instances where if those bears wanted to make a meal of me, they could have, and, and they clearly chose not to. And, um, I, I think that most incidents where people get into rough situations with bears, it's surprising the bear mm -hmm. or it's getting in between a sow with cubs or getting in between any bear, any bear and its meal. So you don't want to surprise them. Don't don't get in in between a sow and cubs, and don't get in between a bear and its meal. If you can do those three things, you're in pretty good shape. I, geez, so just the, 
when, when a bear charges you, do you like immediately go back to camp and change your underwear? Because like I'm telling you what, bro, like mine puckered too. Uh, I yeah, <laughs> like just hearing the story, I'm like, oh. Oh. I know. I'm, I'm like, I don't know how I would handle it. I mean, all those things that come to you, like, don't run, play dead, look bigger. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I don't know. This thing's like gigantic. You'd be like, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be more like, <laughs> You're going to be in octaves, you know, you had, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's but a dog. like, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, you're talking about brown bears, man, not like a little black bear. I mean, yeah, don't right. get me wrong. Black bears can get big, but brown bears are, like, huge. Yeah. Oh, sure. Grizzly. Oh, yeah, so they're, they're all brown. So on the coast, they're they're all brown bears. Um, okay. And, you know, they it's it depends on the population, but I've, I've heard some biologists talk about uh, brown bears on the coast being less aggressive because their food source is more predictable. Whereas your inland grizzlies are always on the hunt trying to chase things down. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not a, a biologist by training, just by experience, I guess. So, I, you know, all I know is what I've seen. Um, and the bears, you know, that I've been around have always been respectful. You know, they've, they've been willing to understand what a human is and, and differentiate a human from food. So I'm appreciative of that. So what do you What's carry? Do you carry small caliber or high caliber? I've got a 44. Um, yeah. I was going to say, dude, I was just going to joke about that, but yeah. I was, the back of my head, I was like, it's got to be huge. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be something like you're like, boom. <laughs> you know, something like, whoa, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, I'm backing up. Like, yeah. just, just chill. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, the only time I could ever think about being anywhere near bears is up in northern Wisconsin and on some of the mountain bike trails, and it says, watch yeah. for bears. Yeah. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm like clipped into my pedals. I'm screwed. <laughs> you know, and let alone like the, that time when I had to read, like when you read those uh, signs are everywhere. I came around the corner and I almost hit a deer. Yeah. So I'm thinking if that was a bear, and it would have been a black bear, what I mean, but it would have been an interesting situation. Yeah, I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen 300-pound black bears come out of northern Wisconsin. I mean, three, four hundred-pound black bears, dude. I mean, that's... That's a big animal, bro. And they generally want nothing to do with us because they say when you walk through the woods, make loud noises, and they'll. But I mean, still, I just oh. So earlier, when you were talking about getting your boat ready, are you using a drift boat? Are you floating rivers up there out of a drift boat when you're not in a kayak, or are you using a motorboat, or? Yeah, so the the island access here, you're crossing big water. You know, it's big big saltwater ocean, and so you you could paddle it in a kayak to go across, but. Uh, you know, videography guys like to bring a lot of gear. Yeah. So I've got a seven, I've got a 17 foot aluminum boat. Um, we had about 3,000 pounds of gear. So wow. no matter how good my my Jackson kayak is, uh, we, we needed more space to put gear. So uh, you know, it's partially for the videography trip, but also you know, it's nice to be able to bring a couple of coolers um, and and fill fill the coolers. So we got a nice Orion 85, and that was filled first day of the trip. We needed we needed more coolers. Um, but yeah, at, from an access standpoint, um, you, you, it's really nice to have a pretty good size boat here. And so I take the good size boat and I've got, uh, kayaks that I'll either tow, um, or, or stack on the boat and then kayaks give me my access the rest of the way. Nice. nice. Oh, that's cool. God, that sounds... I've never had a halibut before. You guys had halibut? 
Well, once. minus you. But. Yeah, I've had it once, once is or it twice. Good? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's I've like a white it. meat, right? It is. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of steaky. Yeah. It's like a little more firm than your like traditional like you know like cod and everything else we eat pretty much up here. Yeah. Or down, or down here. Yeah. Up here. <laughs> yeah. Down here. Well, we're up from Ricketts. Josiah is up from us. Right. So yeah, in the middle here, you know. I'm yeah, yeah. A southerner. <laughs> oh man. So what's that Alaskan lifestyle like? Because I mean, you got to for for a lot of people, especially me. I'm I'm watching Alaska bush people, Alaska <laughs> the last frontier. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. I, I gold watch rush, like gold rush. Yeah, that that's when I see it. But then you know I follow the I love Alaska Facebook page, which is freaking remarkable. They show you know beautiful stuff all the time, and I'm like I've got to go there. I've got to see it. I've got to you know. And I'm a big fan of the Meat Eater podcast. They love going to uh, Alaska to hunt and fish and and do that kind of stuff. I'm like man, I've just that that lifestyle is so intriguing to me, man. Like yeah. it's it's something I have to I definitely have to experience. Hundred yeah. percent, it's got to happen. So, I mean, is it is it like what you see in the TV shows? Is it that rugged, or is it more just like a good mix of, you know, civilization and, and backwoods living? Uh, my wife loves watching Alaska bush people from a humor standpoint. I don't know that anybody lives like that. Yeah. Anybody, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, in, in terms of frontier families, Alaska last frontier. You know, yeah, there's some homesteading folks that that live that way. But, um, so you've got. Um, a few primary cities in Alaska. So Juneau's the state capital, but yeah. you know, really, you know, it's kind of funny. In the summertime, um, we can have up to forty thousand people come in on cruise ships in a day. Wow. Oh yeah, that's more than yeah. the residents that live in Juneau. And so, um, you know, Southeast Alaska has been shaped in part. Um, by the inside passage cruise lines that have brought commerce and and you know other ways of making a living so that inside passage starts at Ketchikan so that's the southernmost city in, in Alaska you've got Sitka on the outside Sitka has the best fishing it's on the outside so big big water right you're 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 not getting to anywhere until Russia if you try to cross the big water going out from Sitka and then Juno marks kind of the northern end of the Tongass rainforest and that inside passage Haynes and Skagway are up what is called icy Strait Lynn canal. So those towns, um, you know, culture wise, there's this, uh, tug of war and, in, in people's hearts and minds, I think between tourism and putting bread on the table. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trained in economics, and so from an academic standpoint, from a pragmatic standpoint, from a reality standpoint, commerce is a good thing, right? If if families can pay their bills and and put food on the table and and you know send kids to school and et cetera, et cetera, that's a good thing. Not at the expense of our environment, not at the expense of you know fishing, hunting, uh, mm -hmm. the forest that we depend on, right? There can be a healthy balance there. So there, there's my plug for Department of Natural Resources. <laughs> <laughs> the idea in Southeast is that tourism has shaped some of the culture, right? So as I've stuck around here and the weather's turned and I was showing you guys earlier, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of gray. It's kind of a blue gray a lot of the time here. Um, you know, when the weather gets colder and, and gnarlier, there's a, a sense of family, a sense of, mm -hmm. man, we're, we're tight knit. Like you're, you're a local now. And then you've got tourist season and tourist 
can do squirrely things. You know, they walk in front of cars and they just kind of wander around the city. And um, at the same time, you know, they, they bring commerce. That's a good thing. So I would say, you know, southeast from an economic standpoint, that's something you'll notice very visibly off the bat. But yeah, from a cultural standpoint, uh, folks um, uh, generally across the board respect the idea of utilizing the natural environment as a way to provide food for their families. Um, that is a part of the culture. Um, there's not people that re really look down on that from a cultural standpoint. Um, and you know what's wild is that the more that you hunt and fish, I believe, um, the more you respect the fish that you're chasing and the game that you're chasing and the more you respect the value of life. And so there's there's a deep value and respect here um, for, for life. I'm even from a young age for me, but, you know, especially up here, I, I fit in in that I don't waste anything, you know, I'm, I'm, I go out and, and enjoy crabbing and <laughs> there's nothing that hits the floor in terms of waste for me between my dogs and myself and the crab pots. I mean, nothing goes to waste. And that's part of the culture up here. Nothing goes to waste. Um, people do not let things waste. Uh, that's in contrast to some other places that I've lived, you know, when I was a kid, I needed to eat all the food off my plate, and that was ingrained. I, I worked at an orphanage for a couple of years and got to work with kids that really knew what it was to be hungry. I, I've never been hungry, you know, in a true sense. I, I've worked with kids that have. And so I've got lots of reasons why I don't want to waste, but I tell you what, Alaskan culture, don't waste anything. Um, in, in terms of, I guess, a, a worldview, there's things here that will kill you if you're not paying attention and you don't do the right thing. The yeah, weather can yeah. turn and, and kill you up here. Um, you know, I took these guys on this trip and, and we put this video together and, uh, the weather, it's like a, it was like a cyclone and there's, there's these memes floating around the internet. You can check them out, but whenever there's a hurricane in Florida and it's not to take them lightly, but Alaskans joke, they're like, oh, yeah, they got a little storm down here. I mean, you look at the storms on the radar here, and they just explode. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, you got to be careful, you know. Brown bears, you got to be careful. I was catching some uh, uh, silver salmon off the kayak, and all caught it's about a 17-pound buck. I mean, it was a good fish, good meaty fish. Stellar sea lion that's about 13 feet long, 15, 1,600 pounds, starts chasing after me to take my fish. No, that stellar sea lion wanted to put a hurt on me. He could take me out. You know, you got to pay attention. <laughs> Pull that fish in the boat real quick. I had slimy legs, but I kept my fish. So, you know, there's there's a level of respect that comes from the natural world here that's different than some other places I've lived. I'm not the biggest, scariest thing in the woods or in the water, right? Wow. I, I'm just not. So... <sighs> How long did it take you to get used to that, man? That's not something you can get used to. You know, I walk out my front door. The biggest danger I have is getting hit with a newspaper from the newspaper guy, right? I mean, it's I, I don't have to worry about that. If I go in the woods, coyote, you know, I go fishing not too long ago. I saw the probably the most beautiful coyote I've ever seen in my entire life with a coyote pup. I mean, it's one of those moments that around here you're supposed to shoot them because they're, they're such a nuisance, right? They're just they're a nuisance animal, but this, this was absolutely breathtaking when I saw it, but those are the things we have to worry about. I don't have to worry about a bear. I saw one bear in my state in my entire life. I'm 41, almost 42 years old. I've only seen one bear here. So it's not like, but, but going from this to going to, you know, the last frontier, literally you walk out your front door and you, it, just like you, man, you're listening to headphones, you're fishing. Here's a bear 20 yards away from you. I mean, you could have easily just got mauled. 
right? That's just, that's mind blowing to me to go from safe living to the real deal. I mean, it's gotta, it's, there's kind of, it's gotta, there's some kind of primal instinct with that too. Right. I mean, it's, it's very cool. It's just, it's scary, but very cool at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. That's gotta be, that had to be. And how did your, how did your wife adapt? Right. As men, we were like, well, we handle anything. That's just how we are as men. You know what I mean? But was your wife like all like, I, I can adapt, I can do this, or was she, was it a process for her to, to fall into that lifestyle? Or So uh, the first place that I brought her up to on taking, bringing her up to Southeast Alaska, considering moving up here, um, we went and looked at this parcel, um, and it was uh, somewhat rural, it was just a few miles out of town, um, and we're walking up to it and park the truck and step out and walk about 10 feet. And there's about a 400 pound black bear sitting down and he was sitting down like a dog, just <laughs> sitting like this. She went, Nope. <laughs> went back to the truck, got in the truck and said, I'll see you after you check it out. So, uh, how did she react? She said, well, I'm going to go back to the truck. No, um, you know, my wife travels a lot for, for work. She coordinates, um, uh, the international programs for university. So, seven abroad programs. So although she loves it up here, um, it's beautiful. Um, you know, her, her home tends to be the road. So, um, yeah, in terms of getting used to wildlife and that kind of thing, um, you know, she likes natural beauty a lot, but, um, in terms of putting uh, meat in the freezer, that that's not her. So that, that, that role is mine in the family. <laughs> oh man. That sounds really cool out there, man. It's, it's you know, amazing. I, I've always wanted to go out there. I mean, I even considered that cruise that leaves Vancouver and hit, gets, you know, hits Anchorage and it hits Juneau. Um, actually, I was going to use it for a snowboarding trip because I know Juneau's got that ski resort right outside the city, right? Yeah, Eagle Crest. <clears throat> you know, but I mean, it's, and I heard about the whales and, you know, when you're out there and everything. I mean, it sounds amazing. It, Sounds very rural, which I'm digging more and more. Yeah. I, I wonder if I could convince these boys to maybe go on a fly fishing trip. Hey, hey. 2020, they're <laughs> good, man. I, I get an extra fucking vacation. There is job. no convincing. It's just let's do it. Dates and <laughs> let's go. I'll, I'll walk out that door right now and I'll go to my wife and I'm gonna say, "Listen, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to Listen, Alaska. Going to Alaska, <laughs> right?" I've been growing this I'm beard for a reason. Beard. Yeah, I'm going to grow my beard out longer. I'm going to kiss coho salmon. And we're going to tell this grizzly what's up with my. Yeah. So, I think that would be laugh. amazing. I, 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 I'm down. Dude, I really am. It would be absolutely amazing. I'm down. You, if, you, if you ever invite us up, I'm going. I'm going. It's yeah. it's a bucket list thing for me. It's yeah. something I'm going to do before I die. I'm going. Yeah. And I'd rather be young and healthy while I can do it, you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. It, it's so so that was one question and I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. So, um you said it was 1 a.m. and you were out fishing. And so so what is that like? Um you know, when you got these long summers where you're getting nothing but daylight for 20-some hours, and then not only that, but the winters when you're, like, darkness. I mean, what is that like? Oh, the summers are awesome. I, I didn't sleep <laughs> He's gonna go dark. summer. But, uh, you know, in, in terms of, 
if if you love the outdoors and if you love trying to use the talents and time and ability that you have, it's it's a pretty cool place. But you know, I can understand the rhythm that that bears have. Bears are the same way, right? They they push it really hard all summer and then they sleep all winter. I, I don't get to do that, but um, no, this this will be my first full winter up here. So um, I'm I guess I I can't speak from experience on it. I'm a pretty positive guy. Um, and you know, I've, my, my day job is, is a natural resource specialist. I'm in an office building a a fair amount of the time. I do do some field work, but, um, you know, that office building, I turn the lights on and get to work and get stuff done. So I think I, I've got some good rhythm planned on how to deal with winter. Um, you know, if you're living out of a remote cabin, winter would be tough. Um, there was a, a gentleman called the bear man who lived on Admiralty, and uh, he he tended to try to break away from his cabin in wintertime and come into town. Probably got a little bit lonely, and you want to see some people. It's tough when it's dark a lot. Um, you know, we're we're on radio, but you guys can see me, and we got this blue glow during the daytime. It's you know rainforest, cloudy, drizzly, and and blue. Um, you know, people have to do different things, but you know, for me, I've got a po- positive outlook, and um, I'm, I've always got something I'm working on. So there's not really too much downtime um definitely different kinds of busy between summer and winter though sure sure sure, i like i like the summer busy yeah Yeah. i bet i bet so it's dark all like all day long in the winter time that's something i didn't know well it's it depends on your your latitude right so juno you know at the dead of winter so december 21st will will be about you know 10 a.m to 3 p.m kind of deal um, so, you know, it's, there's still a little bit of a light outside right now, um, here for me. So, you know, what time is it? We're at 5 PM and, and sun's kind of setting right now. So it's not, it's not too bad in Juneau. Now, when you go North in Alaska, and by the way, so Alaska's, you know, two and a half Texas's can fit inside yeah. of Alaska. It's a big wow. state. You go to the Northern part of Alaska and there's an entire <clears throat> northern segment that has no light. Yeah. Or or over a month. So, yeah, in terms of light, uh, if you go further north, you, you do face that total darkness. That'd be a hard deal. That'd, that'd that would be, hard be a hard deal. deal. Well, yeah. that, that's that's one thing I've always heard is like Alaska has like this high suicide rate in the winter months because there's no no daylight. And uh, my one uncle was stationed up there. And uh, I think it was Anchorage. You know, this is back in geez like the 60s or something and uh he he told me stories one time like in the summer they would put aluminum foil on their windows to block the light out you know during the summer because you know it's it's midnight and you got like the sun blaring through the window and you're trying to sleep he's like it's not the easiest thing to do but he's like the winters were miserable because you know like josiah said you know you got you got such a small window of daylight. It's it's kind of crazy. Like sun's not coming up till ten a.m. and then it's setting at three p.m. That's just that's five hours of daylight. Like that's just nuts to me. You know what I mean? But then again, on the flip side, you know, you could fish all damn day with that kind of light. You know, like in the summer. You know, so it's like pick your poison, right? You know, so. That's do you see crazy. the? Do you see the northern lights up there a lot too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you stay up late and and go to a spot where you can get out of the clouds for sure, you can see them often. Um, 
you know, Tongass rainforest makes it challenging because we get a fair amount of precipitation. You know, Juno not as much as Ketchikan and um, and Sitka, but because of cloudiness, some of our northern lights are blocked here. But yeah, on clear nights, there's a glacier just right uptown, uh, Mendenhall Glacier, and you can go there and you got kind of this white glow from the glacier and northern lights are over it consistently when it's clear. That's so, cool. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's badass. Oh, man. Uh, it's one of the last true... Last frontier, true, man. Yeah, wild places in the United States. Yeah. It probably is the last, like, wild... Yeah. It, it sounds pretty cool. Northern it's... Wisconsin's pretty remote in it it can be yeah, yeah northern so, I mean, wisconsin minnesota i guess north dakota you know yeah i mean I there's mean, there's parts of northern minnesota that are pretty remote once you get up by canada um yeah there's areas of the up that are the same way um, yeah the, the up i think you can i don't want to say you can see the northern lights but there's definitely oh, they yeah. have like longer light periods i remember yeah i was up at copper harbor it was Man, it was light out till almost ten. Yeah, and then you get some kind of a light thing on clear days. Um, there's some kind of a refraction going on. I don't yeah. know if it's the Northern Lights, but for such a dark place, it was pretty lit up in the sky. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Man, I think we're wrapping it up, boys. <laughs> you guys got any other questions for our man here? No, I, I just I think what he's I think what you're doing is great. I mean. Like I said, I feel like I've done nothing now, yeah, but uh, right. I've you know so much more to do. Apparently, yeah. no, it's it's cool, man. It's it, you know it it's I, I think there's a lot more to talk to you about. You know, it's just oh yeah, there's so many things for another hour. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many things to do. But that's really cool, man. I mean, it's it's neat. It's good that there's people out there like you and um you know and you're you see you know you seem really like really genuine and everything too and you care and that's good. I mean, that's what. That's what we need more of anyway, yeah. just in general. For sure. You know, but yeah, so, yeah, keep on, keep it on, man. <laughs> I can't wait till your TV episode comes out. That's yeah, that'll be neat. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, man, let us know when that when that airs. I definitely yeah. want to yeah. check that out, dude. Definitely. Let us know when you want us to come up, too, because I'm, I'm 100% <laughs> serious on that. Yes. <laughs> let us know when you want us to come up. <laughs> <laughs> You go up in the dead of winter when you only got five hours of sunlight. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll do it. You wouldn't have to deal with the crowds. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Just the bears. Just the bears that time of no, year. They, they go to sleep, man. Yeah. When, when, Dude, he, they're asleep. It's hilarious because he's like the crowds, like 3,000 people, man. You know how people live in my town? Yeah. <laughs> There's like 100-something thousand people right in this little town here. Yeah. The next town over has got like 200. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. dude. Well, uh, do you want to give a shout out to your uh, your nonprofit organization? If somebody wants to go and check it out and maybe help out or something, man, where can they find that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, w I can leave a website link as uh, agathosinternational.org. But um, really specifically, I mean, our, our goal is to create community. I, I believe that looking at people as, as uh, our neighbors, as our friends, as our family, I mean, that's the truth. Um, oh, instead yeah. of us, us and them and those people, yeah, you know, when man. you hear that kind of terminology, that, that leads to a lot of problems. Um, you know, we're uh, us 
Jackson kayak guys. We're, we're a family, right? I mean, it's everywhere you look, if you can figure out ways to try to treat each other as family, um, that's, that's a pretty good solution to a lot of the issues that we face in the world. And so that's really uh, what our mission and vision and purpose comes down to. And there's specific ways we carry that out. But yeah, if folks are interested in learning more, you know, reach out to me. Um, website link is a really good way to do that, but I'd be happy to answer questions. And, you know, my, my encouragement is figure out what your passions are, figure out, you know, what you're good at and use it for good. Um, you know, you can use fishing for good and that's, that's a pretty cool way to live. You don't have to feel like it's just a selfish pursuit if you try to use it for good. And so when you can find that sweet spot, that mix of things that make you alive, but use them to help others. Um, it's a lot of fun. I think that's the best advice I've heard on this podcast yet, man. Yeah. That's badass. Um, you got social media, man. Where could, where could folks go and follow you? Yeah. Uh, my, my Instagram, although I'm not super active on social media, um, uh, you know, sometimes it can be kind of a crazy place, but I do try to use it for good when I can. My Instagram handle is fishing for good. So okay. you, can, you can find me there on Instagram. Um, that's really the, the primary platform that I use. I do have a Facebook account, but you know, it's friends and family kind of thing mostly, but yeah, yeah. Instagram, I'll, I'll probably, uh, I was, we're talking with one of the Jackson guys, try to connect this uh, podcast to, to a post and let people jump into to your podcast from uh, folks that I know, that kind of thing. So Heck sounds yeah, like man. there's some good listening. I got to listen Thanks. to a few episodes earlier, so you guys have a good thing going. Yeah, right on, man. We appreciate Thank that. You. We appreciate that, dude. Um, yeah, anything you else, else you want to add to this, man? You got any other sponsors other than Jackson you want to shout out, uh, you know, things like that? Um, oh, the, yeah, the, we just got done with this video and, and uh, Bending Branches, uh, kayak paddle, uh, canoe paddle company, they, they sponsor me. Great, great company if you're looking for a paddle. They make great stuff. Um, and grateful to them for helping out with what we're doing from a nonprofit standpoint. Um, you know, if you've got to sneak into the backcountry and you cannot carry a, a big rig kayak over your shoulders, um, advanced, <laughs> no, advanced elements no. makes a makes a pretty cool inflatable kayak. So if you're in the market for an inflatable, you can chuck in a backpack. Um, go check those guys out. They they do really good stuff. They've been gracious to sponsor me for a while. Nice. Um, yeah, there's you know it's it's neat. Um, and obviously we see this from a, from a Jackson standpoint, but I really think it's the companies that find a way to give back and take care of their communities that will carry on and, and that will have longevity and sustainability. Um, people want to know that companies care. So, um, I encourage folks to, to vote with your dollars, you know, find those companies that are doing good, um, and that make stuff that's useful to you, but, uh, you know, find those companies and support them. I think that's a primary way that, you know, we accomplish good. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a good relationship when you can get gear that, that works well for you, but you know, you're doing good at the same time. So, Heck yeah. yeah, man. Solid, solid. Well, boys, this was, uh, an epic, epic episode. I'm glad you both were here to enjoy this with me. Me too. <laughs> Uh, is that a virtual hug we just got? Yeah, that was. That was. That was. That was hugging you right through the computer screen, man. <clears throat> All well, right, we, buddy, back off. 
With that being said, guys, don't forget to check out the website, paddle, the letter N in fin.com. If you got a question, comment, uh, want to hear from another future guest like the epic one this evening, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N in fin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Rocktown Adventures, Loveland Canoe and Kayak, Hammered Lures, Fish Mob Lures, TRC Covers, and Jigmaster Jigs. This is the last week, guys. Use the promo code PNF20 for Jigmasters, but the month of October, you're getting free shipping. So take advantage. And uh, don't forget about the plastics recycling program, you guys. Address is in the show notes. Take your used, beat up plastics. Mail them to the address in the show notes. Our man, Eric Richards at Hammered Lures, melts those used baits down, makes new ones out of them, and donates them to various chapters of Heroes on the Water. Till next time, tight lines, smooth paddling. What's up, boys and girls? Just wanted to take a quick minute to talk to you about the Paddle and Fin gear. If you haven't seen it yet, go to paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Go click that store tab at the top. Check out the store. We got tons of t-shirt designs, long sleeves, hoodies, phone cases, you name it, it's on there. Give it a gander.